last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. That's good. It sounds like it was a good time. It was a good time until I get hit by a giant tidal wave. And Dalvin Cook's 727 three cone. I'm getting that tattooed. I'll never forget. And I mean, that's amazing. I'm patting myself on the back. I mean, that's amazing consistency. The work ethic. I mean, wow. That's why they call me the pod father right there. And if there were boxes of cereal in a grocery store and there was a David Johnson box and a Le'Veon Bell box and do you want to pay full price when you know or do you want to pay a lower price early and be the guy that did it before the information came out? I mean, that's how Dynasty goes. So I don't know. Depends on how much you want to invest. You weren't listening to the show. The whole premise of the show was we don't know what these guys are now and especially we don't know what they're going to be a year from now. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What is going on, Matt? Just beating back the buzzards on Twitter, Nate. Just beating <laughs> them back. <laughs> They're relentless. They're relentless. Have you had any interesting exchanges on Twitter lately? Uh, you know, not per se interesting exchanges, but I've seen things on Twitter as anyone else who's been on Twitter has seen. Oh, oh, I've seen things on Twitter. I've seen things. This felt like trolling. And when I did some research on it, this was not trolling. It was not intended to be. This tweet was from the heart and the soul and the mind and the body. This man meant everything that he says. This person wasn't trolling you in a tweet that you had sent. They were sending a tweet naked, not replying to an existing tweet. They were just posting a message out to the world, and you felt that message was so inflammatory that it was trolling? No, this is even worse than that. This was like uh, me flying my drone around the neighborhood, and then I catch my neighbor's husband and wife fighting, and I fly the drone a little closer to listen in. That's what this is, because it's him and some (laughs) other irrelevant individual bickering back and forth. (laughs) How did I know that that would be a hobby of yours, surreptitiously snooping on your neighbors? We know from a previous show that you're the guy that continues to listen in after you've been pocket dialed, just in case something embarrassing happens. You're that guy. That's that's right. I like to... This doesn't surprise me a bit that you're flying a drone into your neighbor's yard. Doesn't surprise me a bit. From 400 feet above, I like to document everything that goes on in my neighborhood. But this tweet, Matt, I don't even want to say the guy's name, but it has Scout in the title. Okay, that's one part of the name. It has Scout in the title. Can you just give his name? Give the Twitter handle so we can go look up the tweet. Stop being cagey. You know, God rest his soul. He's not dead, but God rest it anyways. Oh, let me ask you a question. Is he a civilian? Does he have less than 1,000 followers? No, I think he has more than 1,000 followers. If he has more than 1,000 followers, then he's not a civilian, and we can share his Twitter handle. That's my threshold. Okay, I think like 20% are sex bots, but that's fine. Okay, his handle is at Gam Scout, G-A-M-S-C-O-U-T. His name is Justin Gamel, I believe. So he's not a game scout. He's a Gam Scout? 
Yeah, he's Gam Scout. He he took part of his last name and then he took the word Scout and he put them together. It's very creative. It sounds like an old woman who scouts, like a Gam Gam. Oh, oh, Gam Gam, <laughs> Gam Gam's out scouting again. I don't know too many old women that would have made the mistake to tweet this out, but I'm going to read this tweet, which people are probably like, just get to it already. I'm going to get to it. Just give me a minute. Gam Gam. Gam Gam. I'm charging my drone right now. All right. Here's what the tweet reads from Justin Gamble. I think Cooks is so much better than Antonio Brown. I don't get why no one says it. Diggs and Cooper too. Watkins when he's healthy. I get why no one says it. No one says it because it's self-evident that it's not true. Period. Do we need to talk about this any longer? How does this guy have a thousand followers? Tweets like that. Well, you're following him. No, I'm not following him. I don't even know how I stumbled on it. This was me walking through the woods and I tripped and I fell and I rolled a long way down the hill and I just ended up somewhere. Oh, yeah. So you're also the guy who clicks on these tweets and scrolls down and tries to find the embarrassing reply. I was on the hunt. And what happened was (laughs) I smelled blood in the water because I saw something that alluded to this. And I was like, okay, I just need to find a concrete tweet of this guy saying that Cooks is better than Antonio Brown. And I found it and I retweeted it. Happy Monday. And people loved it. I retweeted your retweet. It was great. It's great because it's just so off base. I like Brandon Cooks. You like Brandon Cooks. He was in a prolific offense. Yeah. Love Brandon Cooks. One of the best seasons by a college football receiver in the history of the NCAA. Not to mention a thousand yard receiver at age 23. Come on. Who doesn't like Brandon Cooks? I was thinking, you know, in terms of being on New England, you and I have talked about this a little bit off the show. We, we sort of project... Brandon Cooks, you know, to have a have a good season. WR two, possibly some WR one weeks in there. Possibly some WR one weeks. Absolutely. He's going to be incredibly volatile. Okay, def definitely. He'll be a feast or famine wide receiver and he'll fall in the WR two category most likely because there just aren't enough targets to sustain WR one output in New England, but he'll have some boom weeks. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. So I look back at uh, 2015 for the Patriots because I just wanted to find some sort of model, some semblance of an opportunity where Brandon Cooks could get a role. And Wait, what were you researching? This is just a tweet that you see, you quote tweet and mock, and you move on with your life. Why were you doing any additional research? Dude, uh, here's why. And I'm, I'm looking at the chain of tweets right now, and I just can't stop myself right now. Here, here's one right here. I mean, this guy, I mean, he was on the precipice of arguing that Sammy Watkins is better than Antonio Brown. This is, this is so bad. Wait. Gam Gam! This gets so much worse. Okay, I got to read this next tweet. This is in this whole chain. Honestly, after finishing both their last two years of tape, I'm taking Cooks, and it's not that close. Oh, come on. You added the not that close part. No, I will. I'll retweet it right now. Here comes a retweet. All right, so. (laughs) You're such an asshole. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. How about this one? Here, Here is about Antonio Brown. He's great, but he doesn't dominate the way others do. Wins with quickness and craft, not a deep threat or elevate type like Cooks. I don't even know what to say. 
He just described Jerry Rice. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. You can't, you can't go and pick the greatest receiver in the league who's been the best receiver in the league for four years, just dominant, and compare Cooks to him. I like Cooks, but this is ridiculous. And basically, this guy will only accept Randy Moss as his starting receiver. If he were starting an NFL <laughs> franchise today and you said, Gam Gam, you have the first selection, Gam Gam. You can go out and have anyone you want. Who are you taking? His answer, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> nobody because there's no randy moss if i can't have randy moss we're going no receivers oh uh, all right well that that's how my that's how my week was on twitter matt how was your week on twitter awful you want to you want to elaborate is there more to that i feel like you want me to ask you why it was awful matt why was it awful because i am often the subject of defamatory social media grandstanding and i don't understand it also we have a problem with this backfield drafting tactic that we've been talking about on the show. This is a dynasty show. We've been talking about backfield drafting in the context of dynasty. You draft Adrian Peterson for this year and you draft Alvin Kamara, maybe for this year, but certainly for the future. This makes sense in dynasty. That's been the context, the prism through which we've been analyzing this notion of backfield drafting. But somehow, some way, the question of should you draft Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman comes up on Twitter, and suddenly tweeters are invoking my name. Well, Matt Kelly loves drafting Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Whoa, 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 no, no. <laughs> Stop. Stop. When did I say that? Absolutely not. In redraft? <laughs> what? Devontae Freeman has a first-round ADP in redraft. Tevin Coleman's being drafted in the fourth and fifth rounds. You're not investing a first and a fourth-round pick on a single backfield. What are you doing? No one would do that. That's insane. But actually, I did do that once. And here's the story. I'm participating in the Roto World magazine mock draft. So it's myself and Mike Clay, J.J. Zacharyson, and a bunch of guys drafting. And I have the 10th pick, some awful pick for redraft and it starts at seven o'clock and i'm at my computer and i have to pee so i'm like okay it's fine i'll just go to the bathroom real quick and come right back the draft's just starting there's 10 picks before i have to go every other draft i'm in takes at least five minutes before you have to draft in that scenario well i take a pretty quick pee actually and by the time i get back to my desk i already own Devonte freeman with the 10th overall pick so if i own Devonte freeman then I'm naturally incentivized to draft Tevin Coleman based on the concept that we've talked about. This idea that we don't know exactly what's going to happen this year. It's very difficult to project what's going to happen, especially with the Atlanta backfield. It's a very ambiguous situation. No one would be surprised if Tevin Coleman outscores Devontae Freeman in fantasy football in 2017. Would you be surprised by that, Nathan? No, I don't think so. I mean, especially on even work, it's possible. Um, everybody expects Devonta Freeman to get the workload, but I think barring an injury, definitely possible. If they split the workload evenly, definitely possible, but unlikely the way I think it's going to trend. Especially if he doesn't sign a contract extension by the first week of the season, which is what's being reported. They plan to have a contract extension in place, but they have Tevin Coleman on the roster, and all the reports from Atlanta are that they love Tevin Coleman in Atlanta. <laughs> have you heard that the people in Atlanta don't like Tevin Coleman? They all love Tevin Coleman. So this idea that they're going to scale back Tevin Coleman this year, or they're going to change course 
and make Devontae Freeman the bell cow and marginalize Tevin Coleman, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a timeshare, and no one would be surprised if it's an even timeshare. Over the years, as Tevin Coleman continues to improve and develop, he's capturing a bigger and bigger and bigger opportunity share. We're projecting that opportunity share to grow by 4 to 5%. That's rational, but I'm not sure what's going to happen. And if I have Devontae Freeman, damn right, I'm going to be drafting Tevin Coleman just to make sure that I lock up the running back production that emanates from the Atlanta backfield because the Atlanta backfield was number one in the league last year in producing fantasy points from the running back position. Yet we have this tyranny of certainty that infects fantasy football. Fantasy analysts prey on the brain's addiction to certainty. Talked about this on a previous show. We are predisposed to seek out information, to find patterns, and obtain certainty. That's how the human mind is wired. That's why you see fantasy analysts creating these ludicrously specific, precise projections. It's one of my perpetual frustrations, this faux precision that fantasy analysts implement in their projections. I've seen fantasy projections out to the hundredth decimal place, projecting a player to score 234.23 fantasy points. When I read a projection out to the hundredths place, do you know what immediately fires in my brain? Do you know what neurons fire in that case? I have no idea, but I'm excited to hear. This is the thought that fires. Fuck you. (laughs) I kind of expected that. Fuck you. Fuck you and your .23 fantasy points. I mean, you could take that .23 fantasy points and shove it as far up your ass as it can possibly go. I'll help. Bend over. (laughs) I will help to get those .23 fantasy points as far up your fucking ass as I can possibly get them. Get the hell out of here with this faux precision. You just want credit for having created a fantasy point projection model. See? Look, I'm going up to the hundreds place. That shows you that this is an analytics-based process that I'm going through for my projections. See? That's proof. You see? I'm going up to the hundreds place with my projection. It's a .23. Look at that. You should be impressed. Because I can do math. Clearly, look, it's they're decimals. These are decimals, Nate. They're decimals. Look how smart I am. I'm really good at math. Decimals. And that's why you will not find specific point projections on our seasonal rankings or our dynasty rankings. Because, of course, they're powered by a projection model. Of course, they're created through an analytical process. But the difference is I'm secure in my ability to do math. I don't feel the need to post some preposterous, superficially specific number out to the hundredth place. <laughs> God. There's just too much uncertainty about players and situations to even pretend to be able to predict the outcome with that level of precision. So for that reason, I'm drafting Tevin Coleman if I go to the bathroom and accidentally draft Devontae Freeman in redraft. So that is a fact. But I have never come on this show and advocated drafting Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. I've never written an article where I insisted that fantasy gamers need to go out and draft Devontae Freeman in the first round and then Tevin Coleman in the fourth or fifth round. 
That's the equivalent of fantasy football suicide. In fact, what I have said is in those rounds where Tevin Coleman is being selected, you should be taking a wide receiver. And in the first round, if you're not getting David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell or Ezekiel Elliott, you should be drafting wide receiver. That's what I'm on record saying. But that's not what Twitter's saying. No, 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 no. John Leno responding to a tweet of mine where I admitted that I had accidentally drafted Freeman and for that reason felt compelled to draft Tevin Coleman. And I drafted Tevin Coleman because, quote unquote, I was fucked already. (laughs) So why not? (laughs) We're already fucked. I already took a timeshare running back in the first round. So, you know, (laughs) I'm all in with being fucked here. Sure. You take Tevin Coleman and hope either Tevin Coleman or Devontae Freeman gets hurt, and then maybe you can get a top three running back in the process. Maybe. So I lay this out, and John Lado says, well, you hate drafting both? You stated to the contrary on multiple occasions. (laughs) Oh, yes. I love these guys. You see this guy? Pin your ass to the wall. Yes, that's right. He's holding me accountable. The accountability tweet. (laughs) Oh, there's nothing I like better than an accountability troll. You can see the accountability troll. You can see him coming, right? Because they have the bifocals. The accountability troll has the clipboard and the pocket protector. Oh, yeah. You can see these accountability trolls coming from a long ways away. Can you not? Oh, yeah. They stand out in a crowd. There's no doubt about it. And when they hit, they hit hard. So I actually opened up my DMs and I messaged him and said, I'm not going to reply on Twitter because... Because I never get defensive on social media because fuck social media. But just so you know, you're confusing a Dynasty League tactic with a redraft tactic. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. But this is why I don't engage on Twitter. Because (laughs) it is a waste of time. Because do you know what I was doing at that time? I was planning for which new, exciting, advanced metrics we were going to be adding to playerprofiler.com. I was in the middle of documenting Mm. all the new interesting metrics we'll be adding. And I had to take time out from this task to respond to John Leno on Twitter, who is engaging in defamatory social media grandstanding. Hey, look at me. I'm about to hold Fantasy Mansion accountable. You're not holding me accountable. You're mischaracterizing something I said because clearly you're bad at listening. (laughs) That's all you're doing. This is what I don't understand. You follow me. You listen to the show. So maybe extend me the courtesy of believing the things I write and say. Maybe. Maybe extend me that courtesy. Maybe. Maybe begin with the assumption that I'm not a liar. How about that? How about we do that, members of the audience, those that follow me? Maybe do that. How about that? How about that? Maybe start with the assumption that I'm not full of shit, that I'm not a fraud, that I'm not a liar, and take the things I say and write at face value and not feel compelled to be the look-at-me accountability troll to try to pick up a couple followers by drafting off of my audience. Fuck that. All right, well, let's jump back into what we were doing last week, Matt, and uh, go over some of these teams that we missed. So here's one for you. We think about the Atlanta Falcons backfield. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's a legit question. That's pretty good, right? That's... What is he? He's not the only one that doesn't listen to the episode, Matt. <laughs> I think the Atlanta backfield has become expensive. Let me put it that way. And I'm not backfield drafting the Atlanta backfield in any format 
redraft or dynasty because I think Devontae Freeman's too expensive because I love Tevin Coleman. And with Devontae Freeman going in the first two rounds of dynasty startups and he's going in the first round of redrafts, I can't justify selecting Freeman at his ADP. Therefore, I'm never able to lock up that Atlanta backfield. In fact, you can go through all my fantasy teams on my fantasy league, on reality sports online, and you won't find Devontae Freeman. The only place you'll find Devontae Freeman on a Matt Kelly fantasy team is this Roto World magazine draft where I was in the bathroom. Yeah, well, currently, and, and I'm looking at the Rotoviz ADP here. Currently, Devonta Freeman has an ADP of number five overall, while Tevin Coleman is going in the beginning of the fifth round at number 53. He's right between Carlos Hyde and Devontae Parker. That's what I'm talking about. That's value. That's why I own Tevin Coleman in over 50% of my dynasty leagues, and I don't own Devontae Freeman in any dynasty league. But the Devontae Freeman-Tevin Coleman backfield draft did make a lot of sense last year. If we get in a time machine, we go to 2016, think about it. Devontae Freeman was the number one running back in fantasy in 2015. A lot of people were compelled to draft him in all formats, understandably. And if you did that, it was absolutely in your best interest to draft Tevin Coleman. And then you were rewarded in 2016, where both Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were top 20 fantasy running backs. Drafting Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman is like fantasy football cold fusion. Now, it's too expensive, even for cold fusion. It doesn't exist, and it's this hypothetical energy generation concept. But for even those that are trying to discover cold fusion, they wouldn't pay the going rate for Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman to get there. Jeff Bezos has one of these super colliders. Even he is looking at this Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman combined ADP and shaking it off. He just purchased Whole Foods for billions and billions and billions of dollars. And he's looking at this Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman combined ADP and going, nah, it's too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) So I get it. But in 2016, that was a league winning strategy. Drafting Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman because it has anti-fragility baked into the proposition. You're getting league-winning RB upside in both Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman with anti-fragility. The problem with the running back position is it's inherently fragile, but if you can get the two signature members of a backfield that absorb 100% of the opportunities between the two, that's an anti-fragile tactic. That's what we're talking about with these backfields that we're drafting. Also, by drafting Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in 2016, it allowed fantasy drafters to focus their attention solely on wide receivers in the surrounding rounds. So look at the Atlanta backfield. If either Devontae Freeman or Tevin Coleman goes down, whoever is left standing, and in 2017, this is absolutely true, the running back who remains will be a top three running back in fantasy football because as we just mentioned, Devontae Freeman was the number one running back in fantasy in 2015 and Atlanta has the best running game in football with an offensive line that's continuing to improve and Matt Ryan who is at the peak of his powers. And the beauty of owning both is when they are each healthy, Freeman is still a solid RB1 in fantasy and Tevin Coleman is one of those volatile fantasy RB2s with weak winning explosiveness. We saw last year, Tevin Coleman post multiple games over 25 fantasy points. Like that happened. I was there. I saw it. I'm a big time Tevin Coleman owner and enthusiast. Booyah! 
I was there. I will never forget that. I will never forget those boom weeks from Tevin Coleman in 2016. Ever! But as we've discussed, while drafting Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman together is not great value, those running backs represent the reasons why we target team backfields. Because you can corner the market on the running back production in the explosive offenses. And it simplifies your draft process, allows you to focus your energy on acquiring the best wide receivers. Those are the reasons why you would draft a Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman if the price was right. It just so happens that this year, the price is not right. The price is wrong, bitch! And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that... Tevin Coleman's attempts from last year. He missed three games, had 118 carries. Devonta Freeman played all 16, had 227. It's not inconceivable that Devonta Freeman next year might carry the ball 190 times and Tevin Coleman might fall into that 150 range. But if you look at Tevin Coleman as a receiver in 13 games, two less than Zeke, he was still targeted more times than Ezekiel Elliott in 2016. And when you look at his yards per reception, he ranks number 35 in total carries on the year at 118. Of those top 35 players, the most heavily ran players in the league, his yards per reception as a receiver, 13.6, is the highest amongst everybody. So of the qualified players that you want to put in your starting roster that are going to garner you the rushing opportunities, Tevin Coleman has explosive upside as a receiver. Oh, And yes. even though his price tag may be a hair more than you want to spend, and the fifth round is still a good value. Tevin Coleman has always been a good value. Since he came out of Indiana, Tevin Coleman has been a phenomenal value. He continues to be a phenomenal value because even though he was the most efficient running back in the NFL last season, number one on playerprofiler.com in production premium, that's our situation agnostic efficiency metric. You look at every given down and distance. What is Tevin Coleman giving you in terms of yards and touchdowns? He was the most efficient running back in all of football. We love efficiency in Dynasty because it shows you that this player is good at football. And usually the hyper-efficient seasons lead to an inflated ADP and it pushes those players out of your price range in Dynasty. But not with Tevin Coleman. The presence of Devontae Freeman has tempered Tevin Coleman's ADP. So even though he showed himself to be a fantastic football player in 2016, something none of us were 100% sure of, now we are, and we can still go get him at value. That's the beauty of Tevin Coleman and why I continue to draft him in startup after startup after startup after startup after startup. In fact, I just had Kevin Cole from Rotoviz on my show, the Mind of Mansion show, and I asked him if he were starting a franchise today, which running back would he choose? Have you heard that premise from me before, Nate? Uh, I have not heard that. What? We do that all the time on this show. No, we don't. If I were starting a franchise today, who would you pick? You No, you've never brought that up once, and I'm pretty sure the listeners will defend me. Somebody what? tweet at Matt Kelly and let him know that you've never heard this come up. This has come up multiple times on the show. This is a hobby horse premise of mine. Are you kidding me? No, this is never. To be fair, I don't listen. But I don't remember you it don't coming listen. up. listen. We talk about this all the time. If you were starting a franchise today, I propose this to Kevin Cole. Who would be your running back if you could choose any of the following four? Tevin Coleman, Jordan Howard, Jay Ajayi, or Todd Gurley? Kevin Cole chose Tevin Coleman. Believe it. Believe it. I'm not. Fu- it's on tape. We have it recorded. It's on the internet service. 
forever. I believe that he said it. What what I'm disputing is that we have not talked about this on the show. That's fine. No, we haven't talked about this specific question, but I've used the question premise. If you were starting a team today, how is this not registering? How? If you are, you're doing it rhetorically. There's it, This hasn't been proposed to me. I'm just saying you're going to get a lot of response from the listeners because I'm right. I don't believe I've answered this question. No, I'm telling you, I listen 20% of the time. And of that 20%, if I were starting a franchise today, if you were starting a franchise today, how many times have I said that phrase? A lot on this show. I'm just going to tell you that we're going to once again agree to disagree. All right. This is unbelievable. Give me another team. Okay. I love this backfield, but let's move on. Let's talk about another backfield that is loaded and has had changes, and it is a prolific offense. What do you got on the New England Patriots backfield? It's tricky. Oh, it's tricky. It's tricky, but the beauty is all those players are affordable and dynasty leagues are deep. That's what we like, right? Value and stockpiling assets with high ceilings. Well, all those running backs have high ceilings. I even think James White has a higher ceiling than many believe, than even I believed a month ago. But we keep hearing reports from New England that the coaches want to expand James White's role. And that makes sense. There's no more LeGarrette Blunt. There's a huge opportunity share void in New England. Lots of vacated running back carries. Someone needs to step up and become the primary back for New England. And even though he's operated only as a satellite back going all the way back to his time at Wisconsin, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that guy is James White, that James White leads the New England running back core in fantasy points, particularly because I think he's going to be the most heavily used out of the backfield in the passing game. But everything I just said about James White, that he could lead the team in fantasy points, that he could lead the team in targets, passing game production. You could say the same for Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead has James White's skill set, except he's a better between the tackles runner and he's bigger. And you could also say about Mike Gillisley. Mike Gillisley has the talent profile to be a bell cow back in the NFL, to absorb a 75% opportunity share with New England if called upon. All three of these backs have league winning upside. And that's before we even mention Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis has been the most elusive back in the NFL the last two seasons. So it could be Deion Lewis leading the Patriots in opportunity share. I don't know. But the beauty is I don't need to know. Because none of these running backs are expensive. And I'm acquiring as many as I can possibly get. I am hoarding New England running backs. I'm in a dynasty startup right now. And we're in the fourth round. And veteran players are included that were not drafted the previous year in the rookie draft. Guess who's still available in the rookie draft? Rex Burkhead. All right. Rex Burkhead is still available because he wasn't drafted the previous year. And it's a draft master format. You can't make free agent acquisitions in season. I'm trying to get my hands on Rex Burkhead. If players like Marlon Mack and Taewon Taylor don't continue to fall to me as they have been, Sucking up great value. Sorry, everybody. Not sorry at all. Dominating. And you can get Deion Lewis for a third or fourth round pick. You can acquire Mike Gillisley for a second rounder. None of these players are expensive. No one believes James White can grow his role. Nobody. Nobody. But all of those things are possible because we don't know. So many fantasy analysts have... Highly specific breakdowns of the New England Patriots running back opportunity share. Deion Lewis will garner 22.45% of the running back touches. 
Mike Gillisley is scheduled for 47.86% of the running back touches in New England. Nobody knows! Enough with the decimals! Just hoard as many of these running backs as possible because the New England Patriots are not actually a pass-first team. They're perceived as this prolific offense where they march up and down the field, throwing pass after pass after pass, propelling Tom Brady into the MVP conversation every season. Well, that's true. Tom Brady is in the MVP conversation most seasons. But it's not because they skew pass. The New England Patriots are a run-oriented team. The Patriots ran the ball more than almost any other team in the NFL last season. They want to run the ball. They want to get a lead in the first half and run the ball in the second half. When we talk about game flow and predicting who to start and who to sit based on the projected score, what's the one team that's been the most predictable year after year? The New England Patriots. A Vereen game or a Blunt game? That was the question. Is it a James White game or a Blunt game last year? That was the question. Why? Because we know the Patriots are going to run and run and run and run some more when they have a lead. That's how they're wired. They want to run the ball. It's a run-oriented team that's dressed up in a pass-first offense. And the other thing about all these running backs, they're not that old. I mean, none of them are over the age of 26. And you look at Mike Gillisley, sort of the new man to this roster. I mean, Rex Burkhead as well. I mean, if I had to pick a guy, it would be Gillisley. Gillisley was great. Because after Tevin Coleman last year, the second most efficient running back in the NFL was Mike Gillisley. And he looks a lot like Devontae Freeman. That's his best comparable player on playerprofiler.com because he's been productive and efficient throughout his career. He's simply good at football. That's why New England wanted him. And of all the running backs last year, 42, that had over 100 carries, Mike Gillisley, 5.7 yards per carry, highest of all of them. Highest out of every running back that had over 100 carries. So he was great in Buffalo. And he's one of those guys that, yeah, like you said, he's he's inexpensive right now, I think. Because we don't know. It's an ambiguous backfield. It's the reason why we backfield draft. Because we admit that we don't know. We embrace the uncertainty. And we just say, in Dynasty, where we have 30 roster spots, I'll take them all. Instead of putting all my chips on my projected winner who I'm projecting to have 0.37 more fantasy points per game next season because my projections often are worth shit. (laughs) Well, I'll give you the ADP of all these players right now, and you can tell me where the value is. Currently, from highest to lowest, Rex Burkhead, 188 overall. Wow. Deion Lewis, 186 overall. Incredible. James White, 151 overall. Criminal. Mike Gillisley, 94 overall. Great value. That's an incredible value given Mike Gillisley's ceiling. Because of all the running backs we listed, Mike Gillisley is the one guy that you can see becoming a true workhorse. And to get him outside the top 90 players in Dynasty Startups, and if you do draft Mike Gillisley and you're not drafting James White and Rex Burkhead, you're derelict in your duty. You're mismanaging your fantasy football team. Period. Because you don't know that Mike Gillisley is going to be the workhorse. And because you don't know, and none of us know, you're obliged to go out and target those other New England running backs if you like Mike Gillisley. Okay, let's let's move on. We have, we have beat the hell out of this one. Let's move on to another prolific offense that has some questions in the backfield. I think you have one favorite, but let's get into it anyways. What do you got with the Green Bay Packers? 
and that backfield situation. This is the perfect situation for backfield drafting in Dynasty in particular because Ty Montgomery is an incredible value. Ty Montgomery looks like a bell cow in the making in Green Bay. And if you are getting a 60% plus opportunity share and absorbing most of the running back targets in the Green Bay offense, you're going to be a top 10 fantasy running back. Remember Amon Green? Yeah. Do you remember how productive Amon Green was in that Green Bay attack? Well, that's what Ty Montgomery could be. He's big, 220 pounds, and he has exceptional pass catching skills. He can run between the tackles, outside the tackles, and he's electric in space. He checks all the boxes, number one in the NFL last year in yards after contact per touch. So he has incredible ability to break long runs, and he was efficient in all phases. So we love Ty Montgomery, and if you're going to backfield draft, you don't go out and draft the between-the-tackles grinder to pair with Ty Montgomery just because you think Ty Montgomery profiles as a satellite back. Those drafting Jamal Williams don't understand what Ty Montgomery is. They think Ty Montgomery is closer to Theo Riddick than he is David Johnson. I'm here to tell you Ty Montgomery is a lot closer to David Johnson than he is Theo Riddick. So that's the justification for drafting Jamal Williams. Fantasy gamers actually think Jamal Williams is going to be there between the tackles, runner, short yardage, goal line back in 2017. (laughs) Sure, sure, yeah. Tell me another one. Maybe, maybe. Again, I don't know. I don't know anything, but probably not because he's an unathletic running back that was not special at BYU, so I don't see it. But I do see it with Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones is also available in the fourth round of this rookie draft I mentioned. So you can draft Aaron Jones at a similar ADP to Rex Burkhead, and you draft Aaron Jones for the same reason you're drafting Rex Burkhead because this is a player who checks a lot of boxes. Aaron Jones is phenomenal in all phases, particularly in the passing game, just like Ty Montgomery. And if something happens to Ty Montgomery, the job will eventually become Aaron Jones' job in Green Bay. He's a better player all around than Jamal Williams. So you're not drafting Aaron Jones in redraft leagues because you don't draft players as pure handcuffs in redraft leagues. That's a wasted roster spot. But in Dynasty, if you own one of these all-purpose backs on the prolific offenses, you sure as hell better take his most likely backup because you're afforded that opportunity in Dynasty leagues where we roster 25 to 35 players. So because we're rostering so many players, you're obliged to take out an insurance policy on Ty Montgomery with Aaron Jones. And it's not a very expensive insurance policy either. Looking right now, uh, Ty Montgomery's ADP is number 67 overall. Aaron Jones, number 184. So you can get him at the back of your draft and do just like you're saying. Where's Jamal Williams going? How wrong is the Dynasty League community about Jamal Williams? That's my question. Oof. Well, I just told you that Aaron Jones is going number 184. Jamal Williams is going number, drumroll, 130 overall. (laughs) 50 spots before the superior Aaron Jones. You should be embarrassed, Dynasty Leaguers. Embarrassed. All of you. All of you who would draft Jamal Williams before Aaron Jones should be ashamed of yourself. Because Aaron Jones posted a 47% dominator rating, 95th percentile at UTEP. He also had a 127.3, 87th percentile burst score and an 85th percentile agility score. He looks a lot like running backs, like LaShawn McCoy, Giovanni Bernard, highly successful NFL running backs. 
you don't want to know who the comps are to Jamal Williams because very few of them are any good. All right, let's move to the next one. What do you got going on in San Diego in that backfield? Is there anything to talk about? Is there anything there other than Melvin Gordon? I'm drafting Melvin Gordon in all formats. I love Melvin Gordon everywhere. Why not Melvin Gordon? Melvin Gordon is in his prime, and he's been a prolific runner going all the way back to his time at Wisconsin. He's also an above-average athlete, so there's no red flags there where you think, oh, this is unsustainable. This guy's not a great athlete. No, Melvin Gordon is an above-average athlete who's been a prolific runner his entire career. He just hasn't been efficient at the NFL level, but it's interesting to see the San Diego Chargers finally upgrade their offensive line. They have had one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL for multiple seasons, and Melvin Gordon's been productive in spite of that. Well, they went out and they drafted Forrest Lamp, the best guard in the draft. So their offensive line run blocking efficiency projects to improve. That's why I think Melvin Gordon will be a top five running back in fantasy in 2017. And because that offense is prolific, top 10 in the NFL in red zone visits and points scored, you're going to want to handcuff Melvin Gordon if you own Melvin Gordon in Dynasty. Use one of those 35 roster spots on Brandon Oliver because I think Brandon Oliver will be the one-for-one handcuff if Melvin Gordon gets hurt because when Brandon Oliver was healthy you all love Brandon Oliver you were comparing him to Darren Sproles and other good running backs and I was sitting here waving my hand going well he's not that good he's not athletic runs a 46540 that comes to an 89.018th percentile speed score but he was exceptionally productive at Buffalo and has always been a tremendous pass catcher out of the backfield so I think that he's adequate between the tackles and well above average in the passing game so they will turn to Brandon Oliver should something happen to Melvin Gordon if you don't own Melvin Gordon you don't need Brandon Oliver but this is where in dynasty especially deep dynasty leagues you need to be backfield drafting whenever you own one of those elite backs on the prolific offenses be humble don't be arrogant and just believe oh because I own him, he won't get hurt. No, he could get hurt. So draft Brandon Oliver. Don't be an asshole. Next. It's the next team. Yeah, next team. There's nothing else to say there. All right, let's move on. There literally is nothing else. I mean, if you want to give me Kenneth Farrow, I'll stab you in the eye with an ice pick based on what happened to me in Kenneth Farrow last year. Jesus Christ. I was going to bring up Kenyon Barner. Who? Okay, we're moving on. So the next team that we should talk about, how about the Kansas City Chiefs? Is there something there? Is there something worth exploring in Kansas City? Oh, people think there's something there. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people get real excited about Spencer Ware's teammate, Kareem Hunt. I've seen Kareem Hunt leak into the first round of Dynasty rookie drafts, and that doesn't make sense because the Chiefs are not a prolific offense. There's not a lot of red zone visits there. So why are you chasing the non-starter? It's the Spencer Ware show. Spencer Ware was number two in the NFL in yards after contact in the passing game. I know that's very specific, but when Spencer Ware caught passes out of the backfield, he showed incredible nimbleness in space. So he has great instincts and great quickness in space. And it makes sense because for a 229-pound player to run an 11-3-4 agility score, that's exceptional size-adjusted agility. When a big guy has that kind of lateral quickness, when you feed him the ball in space, he's going to be hard to tackle. (laughs) And that's exactly what he was last year. So now I'm supposed to believe that Kareem Hunt's going to come in and just 
take all the passing game work away from Spencer Ware. And no one's arguing that Kareem Hunt's a better between-the-tackles runner than Spencer Ware. Spencer Ware was one of the best between-the-tackles runners we saw in the NFL last season, was he not? Yeah, he was. And and let's not forget we talked about this once before. It's not like Kareem Hunt is by any means some superior athlete that they've brought in. Not at all. To supplant him. So, yeah, so you've got Spencer Ware who's been well, who's done really well in his opportunities in Kansas City. He's proven he can play on the field. And let's also not forget that Kareem Hunt didn't come from some prolific college. He's not an Alabama, LSU, Ohio State running back. This guy came out of the MAC conference. Yeah. And he posted a 27.8%, 58th percentile college dominator at Toledo. At Toledo. That's a very low dominator for a Toledo running back. We talked about Aaron Jones. If you go to a UTEP or a Toledo, you sure as hell better be an upper percentile college dominator running back. That was not Kareem Hunt. And athleticism-wise, below the 20th percentile. 102.7, 19th percentile Spark X score for Kareem Hunt. And I'm supposed to believe this guy is going to cannibalize significant touches from Spencer Ware? Are you kidding me? You for real? <laughs> Look like you're asking me. Look at me. The two greatest things. I just don't understand. He's been drafted in the first round, Nate. He's a first round pick in Dynasty Leagues. This is what I'm asking you. Why? How? This is this it's is a chase for Christ's sake. Uh... It's like he got drafted by New Orleans. No, it's not the Saints. It's the Chiefs. The Chiefs. And you want to know why? When confronted with all of this information about Kareem Hunt, the Kareem Hunt enthusiasts respond with. Guess. Guess. Can I take a guess? Guess. Guess what they respond with. Guess. His tape is really good. No. Guess again. Andy Reid loves him. Andy Reid. That's the answer. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Andy Reid will make him great. Andy Reid likes him. Andy Reid will make him great. Andy Reid is a running back sorcerer. Andy Reid touches your shoulder. <laughs> and his magical powers are infused into your body and you're Jamal Charles, you're LaShawn McCoy, you're Brian Westbrook, because that's been Andy Reid's history. And because he's been fortunate to coach some of the best running backs in football, that means by extension, if he drafts another running back, he will be one of the best running backs in football. That's how it works, right? Isn't that how it works? These are magical coaches. They make the running back. It's not the running back's talent that determines his performances on the field. It's the coach, right? Isn't the coach the one that empowers the running back, not vice versa, Nate? Yeah, I don't know. When you start naming off superior athletes in Brian Westbrook (laughs) and Jamal Charles, there's a difference. It's the coach correlation trap. Misguided fantasy enthusiasts fell for the same knucklehead analysis beamed at Norv Turner. Because Norv Turner coached Emmett Smith and Stephen Davis and LaDainian Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson. So he must be able to fix any running back that comes through his doors, right? Because he made Emmett Smith great. He made LaDainian Tomlinson great. He'll make the next running back great. Of course, right? Of course. Wrong. That's wrong, by the way. That's wrong. It's a correlation trap. He just happened to coach Hall of Fame running backs. That doesn't make him a running back whisperer. That makes him lucky. Here's two positives. One, his sophomore year was pretty prolific. 205 carries. Are we talking about North Turner or Kareem Hunt? No, Kareem Hunt. Eight yards per carry, 16 touchdowns. Great year as a sophomore. And the one thing I will say about his senior year, and don't be surprised if he does it well in the NFL, 41 receptions. Yes. 
9.8 yards per catch. He's the satellite back. I don't disagree. I think he will have a role. I think he will have some fantasy viable weeks. Absolutely. But this is a complimentary running back on an inefficient offense. And that's simply not where I invest capital in any fantasy league, period. Based on ADP, speaking of complimentary running backs, what's the story in Carolina? Who's the back to own there and what are you doing? It's got to be Christian McCaffrey, right? I love Christian McCaffrey. He's our number one running back on our rookie rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out our rookie rankings, our dynasty rankings, our seasonal rankings. There you'll see Christian McCaffrey posted up as the number one dynasty running back. He will be the most efficient rookie when he touches the ball. I think that he will do the most with it, but I think his touches will be relatively limited compared to Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon. But because he won't be heavily used early in his career, I think that Christian McCaffrey will have Darren Sproles-like longevity. So I'm trying to get Christian McCaffrey. And if I have Christian McCaffrey, why the hell not draft Jonathan Stewart in the late double-digit rounds? Because Carolina has expressed interest in winding back Cam Newton's carries. They want to keep Cam Newton healthy. They saw what happens last year when Cam Newton is hobbled. If Cam Newton gets hurt again this season, everyone in Carolina is getting fired. So I believe the majority of the short yardage carries will shift from Cam Newton to Jonathan Stewart this year. I think Jonathan Stewart will be more productive this year than he was last year, but he's going much later in all formats. So get Jonathan Stewart and Christian McCaffrey. They both have standalone value because the Carolina Panthers are one of the league's prolific offenses if Cam Newton is healthy. If he's not hurt, if he's not overused in short yardage situations. God, you know, I just thought of something, Nate. Yeah. It just dawned on me just now. For the first time in the history of this show, it just dawned on me. Uh-oh. I'm good at this. <laughs> that that Jonathan Stewart analysis, I mean, that was tight. I have not thought about Jonathan Stewart. I have not pulled up any information on Jonathan Stewart. A Jonathan Stewart thought has not fired a neuron in my brain in six months. You asked me about Jonathan Stewart cold just now, and I gave you one of the tightest, best takes you're going to hear in all of fantasy football about Jonathan Stewart. And no one, I repeat, no one in the fantasy football community can do what I do. should put the crowd cheer behind that. a great take i i think the one thing that we need to talk about when we talk about carolina and this will be interesting is that true that they want to scale back cam newton last year only tyrod taylor carried the ball more 95 times cam newton 90 but if you look at the five years prior cam newton averaged 119 carries a season 7.5 a game so it'll be interesting to see how Christian McCaffrey is used in this offense. There's no way that they spend a pick like that and don't plan to use him out of the backfield. You know, 12 to 14 carries, spread him out as a wide receiver, target him six to seven times. He's going to be amazing as a PPR asset. He's not an RB1 in fantasy, even in PPR leagues. He's not. He probably won't be. He's not. He's not going to see the volume. They've never had a running back receive significant targets in Carolina as long as Cam Newton is there. We're projecting Carolina to create a role for Christian McCaffrey based on his draft capital, but we haven't seen it yet. But we know in the long term, he's going to be a hell of a player in the league. That's all we know, and that's enough. And I think when you take a running back of McCaffrey's profile at number eight overall, it drives a guy like Jonathan Stewart, who's still a talent, way down and into people's blinders. People aren't even looking at Jonathan Stewart anymore because they assume he's old. Value. 
He hasn't looked the same. Value. So what does he cost you? I know, I, you know, I'm wondering, can you get him for... He's in that bin. What's that bin at the grocery store where they put the dented cans? Oh, he's like the bargain bin? It's not a bargain bin. It's the place they put the damaged products. They're not a bargain. They're like almost free. I'm too pretentious to shop anywhere like that, Matt. You already know that about me. Are you kidding me? I asked you that question because I figured you of all people would know this because you brag about your stinginess. <laughs> the frugal nature at which I live my life. Yeah, this is, a, this is a badge of honor that you would shop in that particular bin. I will say this. I did find a used version of a hip-hop CD that I created and there was on a long <laughs> time ago is. in a bargain bin Yes, at a store for like $4.99. It was an embarrassment. Jonathan Stewart's in the dent bin. Uh, yeah, the, whatever you want to call it. That's fine, but I just I just named it. Sure, whatever. I've never heard it called the dent bin. Right now, I see a Walmart ad popping up on my screen. I don't know why. The point is... Jonathan Stewart is a great value. It's 100% true. Let's move on to the next team. Let's talk about a team that everybody thought that Christian McCaffrey was going to go to. And they keep telling us that the running back who has been the number one back there is pretty much gone at this point. What are we doing in Philadelphia? What's going on there? Uh, is it a prolific offense? Are you there, Nate? Yeah, I'm here, Matt. Uh, I don't know if I would call them a prolific offense. Okay, the answer is no. The Carson Wentz offense is not one that visits the red zone often. Okay, that's. I'll answer that one for you. So in that case, we have to pick a running back. Who's the winner? Who's the guy we think is going to be productive in 2017? Who's the best value? Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles is the back to own in Philadelphia, just like Jonathan Stewart. Darren Sproles and Jonathan Stewart are in a rowboat together at the back of Dynasty Startups, the end of the draft. They're just rowing this rowboat. You can see them together singing. Check that. They're not rowing. They're in Venice. What are those boats in Venice where they have the guy with the hat? Oh, gondola. A gondola, yes. Sproles and Stewart are in a gondola in Venice together, and the gondola captain is singing in Italian. First off, there's no there's no captain on a gondola. It's what do they call it? What do you call the guy that steers and rows the gondola? Like the guide, the guy that doesn't let you hit the wall. Like his only job, the gondola guide. Fuck that. No, you're all about minimizing useful professions. That's your mo. Oh Wait, are you calling? I'm not minimizing the gondola captain. He's a captain. <sighs> what does a captain do? He steers a boat. That's what this individual we're talking about does in gondolas. He's a gondola captain. Stop trying to minimalize the important roles that people play in society. There's no such thing as steering a boat when you use a staff to navigate it. That's not steering. It's like a rudder. It's a rudder. Hey, there you go. I know you live in Seattle and you live near the water, but apparently someone needs to explain to you how boats work. So the captain of a boat. Oh, here we go. Steers the boat. By directing the rudder. Now, sometimes the rudder is controlled by a steering wheel. Sometimes it's controlled by the captain directly, sometimes by hand. But regardless, no matter the size of the boat or the complexity of the steering system, eventually, when the captain steers the boat, he is directing the rudder. This man is a guide. He, he's the director of <laughs> operations. He's not a captain. Let's talk about the Eagles. I like your take on Darren Sproles. Why not Darren Sproles? The Eagles will be losing a lot, especially in the NFC East. 
Darren Sproles is going to be on the field. He hasn't absorbed a significant number of touches in his career. He's not Frank Gore. So he's a spry 34 years old. And year after year after year, he's been efficient. Plus 10.2 production premium. Top 25 in the NFL last season. He's been relatively elusive. And top 10 in the league last year in receptions. 52 receptions. This is what Darren Sproles is and has always been. A reception magnet. And a useful piece in PPR leagues, scoring double-digit PPR fantasy points, get Darren Sproles, forget the rest. Because furthermore, I believe the Philadelphia Eagles will be targeting Saquon Barkley next season. Well, they're going to have to jump ahead of the New York Giants then, because that's where he's going. Then they'll draft Darius Geis. Philadelphia Eagles will just have to settle for Darius Geis next season. Okay. Oh. It's going to be amazing wherever those two guys go. And don't forget Nick Chubb. I don't want to do this right now. It, it gets me excited. I get a Chubb talking about Chubb. We really can't do it. We can't talk about 2018 running backs because <laughs> the 2017 running back class was sold to be this exceptional running back class, which it wasn't. And we knew it wasn't based on the athleticism numbers alone from the combine. But the 2018 class is everything it's being sold to be. They're not selling it hard enough. We are more enthusiastic than consensus about the 2018 running back class, and we will not talk about it again. So scintillating. On this episode. (laughs) Makes me want to do the Tim the Toolman Taylor sound when I think about the 2018 class. So good. Do it. Do it. You're going to cut it up for the end? No, do it. Do it. (laughs) That was weak. That was terrible. Do it. Try again. Wait a minute. No, I feel like I'm getting set up. Get closer to the mic. Do a better one. Let me just, let me think about, I'm, I'm working for Benford Tools. I want a good Tim the Toolman Taylor impression. All right, here we go. Here we go. Best I can do. Best I can do. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Sound worse than the first week. Are you serious? Use the, okay, you do one. Do you have a loud voice? Have you ever yelled before? Sometimes I yell, but generally not. Only when I see high prices. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me try it. Let me try it. Let me try. No, that is, it's not even close. I'm not good at it. I didn't claim to be good at it. (laughs) Sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a dog, like a dog that has a mustache. I'm very good at dogs. We're well aware that you're good at dogs. Okay, one more. Tim the Toolman Taylor, go. (sighs) Okay, here we go. Last one. I'm picturing Al Borland right now. My family, I don't want to go home to him. There's so many kids in that house. Here we go. Who's next? Okay, here's a team that there's about as little excitement about as there was with Philly, but let's get your take on it. Miami Dolphins. Oh, God. Next. Okay, here is an interesting backfield then. I think people know which way you want to lean. Let's talk about it anyways. Future, definitely prolific offense. I'm a homer. Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson. Yes. Well, this is the exception to the rule that you want to draft running back backfields when there's an efficient run blocking offensive line. Their offensive line is atrocious, but they have Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson does one thing really well, among other things, freeze linebackers, give running backs an extra instant to slide through a crease. And the best running back at sliding through creases last year was actually C.J. Procise. C.J. Procise, like Tevin Coleman, like Ty Montgomery, is a running back that I'm aggressively targeting in Dynasty Leagues. 
CJ Procise, number one in the NFL last year in yards per touch, plus 37.1, top five in the NFL in production premium on playerprofiler.com last year. So he had that Tevin Coleman level efficient season that proves that he's good at football. It was a small sample size. I get it, 30 carries, but even in a small sample size, he showed that he gets how to play running back. Ty Montgomery gets how to play running back. Tevin Coleman gets how to play running back. CJ Procise gets how to play running back. Now, That's not to say you can't also draft Eddie Lacy, because I genuinely believe Eddie Lacy will get 200 carries this year. They're not going to overwork C.J. Procise. Eddie Lacy will play the Devontae Freeman role. C.J. Procise will play the Tevin Coleman role. And in the Tevin Coleman role, I think C.J. Procise will be efficient and productive, but he will have boom weeks and he will have bust weeks, just like Tevin Coleman. Eddie Lacy's production is going to be much more even. He will be a consistent fantasy producer week in, week out at that RB2 level. And he's also not expensive because it is an ambiguous backfield. And we want to target the assets on the ambiguous backfields if we can project significant red zone volume and pass volume. And I think that the Seattle Seahawks will score more points than they have ever before, assuming that Russell Wilson is healthy this season. He wasn't healthy last year but they did ramp up the pass attempts. If they continue to ramp up the pass attempts and he can stay healthy, then they will score more points than they have previously. And that means the running backs will catch more passes. And that means that the running backs will command more red zone touches. That's all great news for Eddie Lacy, especially in 2017. And it's great news for CJ Procise in 2017 and beyond. So if you're going to draft CJ Procise in a dynasty league, you might as well follow that up with Eddie Lacy. And Seattle's been looking for stability at the running back position. They, they certainly didn't have it last year. I mean, all the way down to Alex Collins, Kristen Michael missed time, Thomas Rawls missed time, Collins missed time, Procise missed tons of time. Do you remember the Kristen Michael era in Seattle, Nate? Which one? The second one. The second chapter in the Kristen Michael story in Seattle was a long one. He was the starter for half the season. It seems like so long ago, but that happened. Seattle was digging for running backs. They added CJ Spiller to this roster at one point. I mean, Marcel Reese was on it. Kristen Michael is terrible. He is an atrocity at the running back position. He can't play. And he was the starter for half the season. And nobody's denying that. And one thing I want to say about CJ Procise, in the one game where he really did feature, and again, we're talking about a rookie who didn't have a lot of opportunity prior to this, versus the New England Patriots, he got 17 carries in that game. Targeted seven times, seven receptions, 87 yards. And eight evaded tackles and 153 total yards. Russell Wilson has never had a player like this. When they drafted him, I was tweeting about it to ad nauseum. But CJ Procise is just on another level from any other guy on this roster that comes out of that backfield. And though he didn't have a lot of experience at the position coming out of college, and he hasn't had a great opportunity yet in the NFL due to injury history, and Eddie Lacy coming to Seattle, and any Thomas Rawls buzz is going to help insulate CJ Procise's value but like you said, similar to Tevin Coleman, when he hits, that value is going to spike and there's no chance. You've seen Tevin Coleman be great in the NFL, and you're lucky that he hasn't had the volume yet to really drive him up. As soon as CJ Procise solidifies himself in this offense, the contract they have Lacey oh. on, 
Rawls being an undrafted oh. free agent, it could all just fade away and CJ Procise could be the guy. And like I said, Seattle has been begging for a running back with some stability. And if Procise stays healthy and performs like he can, there's no question that he could just run away with the job forever. Now, I own Procise and Lacey in multiple dynasty leagues, but can I tell you what's happening to me? I'm losing Lacey because there is significant Eddie Lacey demand. Every time he meets weight, oh my God. every time he meets the weight threshold at one of these mandated weigh-ins, the demand for Eddie Lacey rises. A lot of analysts believe that Eddie Lacey is simply a better running back than CJ Procise, which is laughable. But that enthusiasm is building. I just traded Eddie Lacey, and I didn't want to, but I had to because I was offered Jamison Crowder for Eddie Lacey and a second-round pick. So I'm about to draft in this rookie draft, and I receive this offer where I get Jamison Crowder, and all I have to give up is Eddie Lacey and some unknown draft pick. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like ah, accept, 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 accept. <laughs> Normally, I would come back and ask for a late pick to balance it out. Why not? But not in that case. I was just too nervous. I didn't want to take a chance. I accept it immediately. So it's becoming harder and harder to maintain Eddie Lacy ownership as demand rises. In that case, just trade Eddie Lacy and ride CJ Procise for the long term because CJ Procise is this virtuous combination of Ty Montgomery and Tevin Coleman. Where like Ty Montgomery, CJ Procise was a wide receiver in college predominantly, and then somehow, some way, made the transition of running back seamlessly. Was an incredibly instinctual runner almost immediately after the transition, just like Ty Montgomery, but like Tevin Coleman, CJ Procise is also incredibly explosive. So this is a very, very exciting player and someone you must target in Dynasty Leagues. Speaking of not explosive, let's move to the next backfield. We can't we can't stay on a high forever, Matt. So I'm going to bring us back down a little bit. I like this running back, but what is the deal in San Francisco? What are we doing with the 49ers? I've heard there's a lot of buzz about another running back in San Francisco not named Carlos Hyde. I like Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is the starter on a team that isn't very good. And because the team drafted Joe Williams, Carlos Hyde's dynasty ADP is dropping. So I say take advantage of the ADP drop, get Carlos Hyde, who is a bell cow back. I mean, that's what we want, right? There are very few bell cow backs, running backs that can command an 80% opportunity share. Well, Carlos Hyde can do that. Now, it's not a good offense. They can't run block. There are very few red zone visits. And for that reason, you don't need to handcuff Carlos Hyde like you need to handcuff Melvin Gordon with Brandon Oliver. Fuck Joe Williams. He doesn't have a role, and San Francisco doesn't have a good run game. So I have no idea why anyone's excited about Joe Williams. Now, you can take a shot on Matt Breida in very deep leagues as a super inexpensive handcuff that might have some standalone satellite back value in the deepest leagues. Matt Breida is a more explosive player than Joe Williams. So you might as well chase the athleticism if the team is terrible. So I say go with Matt Breida, 138.4 burst score, 100th percentile, while running a 4-4-40. So he has a 127.7, 80th percentile Spark X score. That's much higher than Joe Williams. Matt Breida is electric. 
So if you're going to take a shot on a guy that's not Carlos Hyde, Matt Breida is a better value than Joe Williams. I can't even believe I'm about to say this. I don't I don't even want to say it, but I've already said too much, so now I'm going to say it. I think that if we're talking about value, if San Francisco plans to continue to run between the tackles and try and be aggressive and run the ball, Tim Hightower is on this roster, 6 foot 226, had an okay year at 30 years old in New Orleans. Looks like he's the second back in the roster. I realized that the Joe Williams hype is out, but Joe Williams has no NFL experience. So Tim Hightower may be another one of those guys with a very late ADP that you can stash in the event that Carlos Hyde goes down. Who? Tim Hightower? Yes, Tim Hightower. Wait, 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 wait. This may be your most egregious non-listening moment. We've just recorded two consecutive shows talking about only stashing backup running backs on prolific offenses. You don't stash Tim Hightower in Dynasty because he doesn't have upside. Tim Hightower was only productive because he was used as the goal line back in New Orleans. And New Orleans is in the red zone a lot. San Francisco is not. So Tim Hightower is useless on San Francisco. What are you talking about? He has no upside whatsoever. He's a pure handcuff back that we're not even sure would garner the majority of the touches if Carlos Hyde goes down. So he's a low-ceiling, low-floor player on a non-prolific offense with a bad run-blocking offensive line. I mean, he's literally the last player I would ever roster in Dynasty Leagues that's on an active roster at this moment in time. First off, not even sure if Matt Breida makes the roster while we're being completely honest. At least he has upside, so two years from now, if that offense turns around and they get a quarterback and they get a run game, maybe Matt Breida has fantasy value. He's a guy you can stash on the taxi squad and Maybe he has long-term value. Tim Hightower has no short-term value, and he has no long-term value. He's completely useless. How does he have no short-term value? If Carlos Hyde goes down, Tim Hightower has NFL experience even last year. Maybe, maybe he has value, but it probably falls into a committee and a San Francisco 49ers running back committee is not fantasy viable. What is, uh, the San Francisco 49ers want the tiniest running back ever to lead? How many startable weeks did Sean Drone post last year? Riddle me this. How many fantasy viable weeks do you think Sean Drone had last season? I don't know. Six? No way Sean Drone had six double-digit fantasy point performances last season. Let me look it up. One, two, three, four. <laughs> oh, here we go. Five, six. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> ah, let's see. <laughs> Sean Drone had a top five fantasy performance in week 17. I did not know that. I apologize to Sean Drone. I apologize to Tim Hightower. You have a shred of upside heading into 2017. Congratulations, Tim. Congratulations. So Tim Hightower could be Sean Drone. He will not be seen on any of my rosters, regardless. Okay, I get your point. I get your point. If you're looking at deep roster stashes, guys to hold on to, Tim Hightower, though old and gone through these injuries, looked decent last year. And who's to say that this isn't the guy that San Francisco would want to lean on as a backup? He was playing in weeks when Mark Ingram was benched, when he was put in the doghouse. We don't disagree on the fact that I would rather have a Mark Ingram was in a doghouse? Can he fit in one of those? 
It was a big doghouse. We don't disagree on the fact that we would like to have these younger athletic players. I'm just saying Tim Hightower is not completely washed. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. I'm telling you that he was propped up by the New Orleans offense. And on San Francisco, he's completely useless. Okay, a lot of people are going to be rendered useless in San Francisco. Let's move on to another team that may or may not be useless. Let's talk about the New York Giants backfield. Oh, God, we have to. Yeah, this is the last one, Matt. We have to just let's oh just my God. get through this one. Go ahead. Who in this backfield is the one to own? Is it is it Shane Vereen? Is he the most valuable? That's it. That's it. Because Paul Perkins is just a guy. And I'm not paying significant draft capital for someone who's just a guy. Paul Perkins is being drafted in the first 10 rounds of Dynasty Startups. <laughs> get out of here with that. Wayne Gallman? Wayne Gallman may not make the team. I'm not convinced Wayne Gallman's an NFL player. <laughs> so Wayne Gallman may or may not be an NFL player. Paul Perkins is replacement level at best. The one guy that has any kind of special skill set is Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen is one of the NFL's best satellite backs, and he has the stature to absorb a significant opportunity share. He has the similar stature to LaShawn McCoy. So there's no reason why Shane Vereen, who broke the record for the bench press, one of the strongest running backs in the NFL, can't command a significant opportunity share on a team that is devoid of any other running back talent. I think the second best running back on that roster is Orleans Darkwa. So I am drafting Shane Vereen wherever possible in the final rounds of Dynasty Startups. I am trading a fourth round pick in rookie drafts to get Shane Vereen because most of my dynasty leagues, I'm shallow at running back. And it's nice to have a guy that I know is going to get significant targets out of the backfield, but also has upside if Paul Perkins and or Wayne Gallman flame out, as I suspect that they will. Shane Vereen will then be installed as the de facto primary back. I see that happening in New York. And for that reason, I believe that Shane Vereen is undervalued. And the player that I believe has the second best all-around skill set on that running back depth chart is actually Orleans Darkwa because Orleans Darkwa has the size. He has the receiving capability. He has the athleticism that Paul Perkins and Wayne Gallman do not. I, you know, I agree with you on all that. I'm just not investing anything into this backfield unless it doesn't cost me anything to own like Darkwa. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Shane Vereen costs almost nothing and Darkwa costs exactly nothing. So that's where you should be investing. <laughs> you should not be acquiring this fool's gold that is Paul Perkins. That's the name of the show. Paul Perkins fool's gold. This is the team that I am betting on to take a running back in the first round last year. This is a team that once upon a time... You mean next year? Next year? Next year? Yeah, 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 yeah. Next year. Had Andre Williams as their bell cow running back. They haven't had a viable season from a running back since Ahmad Bradshaw in 2012 or Brandon Jacobs in 08. They haven't had an RB1 since Tiki Barber in 2006. What? Wait, say that again. Rewind. <laughs> Giants haven't had an elite RB1 since Tiki Barber in 2006. <laughs> That's amazing. They've never had anybody that's worth a damn on this roster. That's amazing. With Tom Coughlin, a coach who loves to pound the rock and slow things down and win the game by running it down the opponent's throat and playing great defense. That's Tom Coughlin. 
See the Tim the Toolman Taylor right there. That was a terrible one. They've had decent production, but there's nobody on this roster that stood out like Tiki Barber used to. So if this is a team that wants to get back to the run, and they've it, they've invested a lot in the wide receiver core, obviously. You look at this team. They brought in Brandon Marshall this year. But if we're talking about running backs on this roster, I agree. Vereen costs next to nothing. Dark will cost absolutely nothing. And I'm not paying for anybody beyond those two. Thank you very much. But I agree with you. The New York Giants are a prime candidate to draft a running back in the first round next year. Saquon Barkley will look divine in Egyptian blue in 2018. Sometimes I yell, but generally not. Only when I see high prices. <laughs> I'm very good at dogs. It just dawned on me just now. For the first time in the history of this show, it just dawned on me. Uh-oh. I'm good at this. <laughs> this is the thought that fires. Fuck you. God rest his soul. He's not dead, but God rest it anyways. Sucking up great value. Sorry, everybody. Not sorry at all. Dominating. Gam Gam. Gam Gam. If you have McCaffrey, why not pick up Jonathan Stewart in Dynasty? Absolutely. Why not? Because my projections often are worth shit. Nice little uh, traffic there for uh, Roto Underworld with that retweet central on that article. Oh, you know how I did that? The Eric McClung article. You know how I pulled that off? The picture of Amari Cooper, it said, who is this? And I put all 10 of the writers in it. Nice. This doesn't surprise me a bit that you're flying a drone into your neighbor's yard. Doesn't surprise me a bit. Okay. Um, These are magical coaches. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. No, 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 no. Sean Drone had 26 fantasy points in week 17. I didn't scroll down. And I drafted Tevin Coleman because, quote unquote, I was fucked already. <laughs> so why not? <laughs> We're already fucked. I already took a timeshare running back in the first round. So, you know, come <laughs> all in with being fucked here. Oh, there's nothing I like better than an accountability troll. Hey, look at me. I'm about to hold Fantasy Mansion accountable. Okay. Um, you want to throw in uh, the Rams? <laughs> Why don't you throw in the Giants? Okay, that would leave us next week with the Bucks, Detroit, Ravens, Broncos, Vikings, Bengals, Jaguars. It's Bengals, not Bengals. Oh, we're going to do this right now? 
just so you know, just for the future, it's in the name of an NFL team. You should know how to pronounce it. What did I say? It's Bengals. You always say it wrong. You always say Bangles. How are we saying it different? Bangles. <laughs> it's a Bengal, like Ben, like Uncle Ben, Bengal, not Bangle, like Dangle. It's not bangle like dangle. It's bengal like Uncle Ben. Honestly, I think it's just your headphones because I think we're saying it exactly the same way. You always say it wrong. I've never brought it up. I'm bringing it up now because it's in the outtakes. Bengal, not bangle. It's not the Cincinnati Bengals. Ben, Ben, Bengal. It's a bangle. It's not a bangle. It sounds like bangle. I'm explaining exactly how you're getting it wrong so you can correct it. You don't have to correct it. You can continue to say it wrong for the rest of your life. I don't care. Yes, we agree to disagree then. It's where we're at. Not a disagreement. It's a fact of how it's pronounced. I don't know. I it, I know. I know what I'm telling you. I Yeah. Well, I guess we're just going to go our separate ways and we'll see where we end up. <laughs> we are Let's continue our conversation from last week, talking about backfield drafting. What do you think about Atlanta? <laughs> do that. That'll be great. This is the thought that fires. Fuck you. It's a point two three. Look at that. You should be impressed. <laughs> because I can do math. Clearly, look, it's, they're decibels. These are decimals, Nate! They're decimals! Look how smart I am! I'm really good at math! Even though I scored under 600 on the SAT math portion, but never mind that! I don't feel the need to post some preposterous, superficially specific number out to the hundreds place! Okay, um... So that's the justification for drafting Jamal Williams. Fantasy gamers actually think Jamal Williams is going to be there between the tackles, runner, short yardage, goal line back in 2017. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Tell me another one. All of you who would draft Jamal Williams before Aaron Jones should be ashamed of yourself. Be humble. Don't be arrogant and just believe, oh, because I own him, he won't get hurt. No, he could get hurt. So draft Brandon Oliver. Don't be an asshole. Oh, oh, I've seen things on Twitter. I've seen things. I'll say anything on Twitter bothering you lately. And then after we talk about this, you say anything on Twitter bothering you lately. Whatever. I've never heard it called the dent van. Right now I see a Walmart ad popping up on my screen. I don't know why. I just don't understand. He's being drafted in the first round, Nate. He's a first round pick in Dynasty Leagues. This is what I'm asking you. Why? How? Okay. Um, there's no, there's no captain on a gondola. This man is a guide. He, he's the director of operations. He's not a captain. Let's talk about the Eagles. I like your take on Darren Sproles. You know, that should be a segment on our show. What, what is Carl tweeting about right now? Carl Safchik derailing the show and he doesn't even know it. He's derailing it in his absence. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> I was on the hunt, and what happened was I smelled blood in the water. 
because I saw something that alluded to this, and I was like, okay, I just need to find a concrete tweet of this guy saying that Cooks is better than Antonio Brown. And I found it, and I retweeted it, happy Monday. And people loved it. <laughs> Fuck Joe Williams. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and all I have to give up is Eddie Lacy and some unknown draft pick. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, ah! Accept! 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 I mean, he was on the precipice of arguing that Sammy Watkins is better than Antonio Brown. <laughs> gam gam! This is so bad. He just described Jerry Rice. For billions and billions and billions of dollars. And he's looking at this Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman combined ADP and going, Nah, it's too expensive. <laughs> okay. Um, oh. <laughs> Booyah! I was there. I will never forget that. I will never forget those boom weeks from Tevin Coleman in 2016. Ever! And we can still go get him at value. That's the beauty of Tevin Coleman and why I continue to draft him and start him after startup after startup after startup after startup. You don't need to handcuff Carlos Hyde like you need to handcuff Melvin Gordon with Brandon Coleman. I'm glad that we had the uh, debate about the, uh, the gondola captain. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thought that fires. Fuck you. <laughs>